With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. And let me be the first, you know, maybe not the first, but happy week eight. Either way, we got by again, whatever you want to call it. In the past, rearview mirror. Unfortunately, won't have the Raiders or Ravens this week, but at least we have fantasy football. Could be a hell of a lot worse. You can check out our Game by Game Breakdown podcast, which was released Wednesday. Waiver Wire Edition on Tuesday. We'll be back with some DFS and injury goodness on Friday. But living in the moment, I am here with a very special guest. Today. You all know him, senior fantasy football writer for the athletic at all in kid on Twitter, none other than Jake Seely. Jake, thank you so much for your time, man. First time we've actually been able to talk, even though I've been a longtime fan over on the old Twitter sphere. No, yeah, we, we've tried to get together a couple times. I appreciate it. I almost I had my Darth, I put my Darth Vader mask on for my podcast right before I came on. I almost was going to, I was going to keep it on to surprise you, but man, I had, I had a, it, you can't get inside of it because it's a full on and I had an itch because sweat was running down my, and I couldn't scratch this part of my face. I was like, man, that's, that should be a form of torture is just having like an itch you're not allowed to scratch. That would have been a ball of mood, just showing up with the Darth Vader helmet, like not even acknowledging it, just uh, business as usual. Just, just, yeah, just show up and just like not even say anything, just be like, what's up, you ready to roll? I was, uh, I, I still have like my high school football helmet in my office and I tried to like, I just put it on for some dumb reason, probably had uh, a little too much wine one of these nights, uh, not that long ago. And like my ear holes in it or whatever were just, are just like falling apart at this point. So I had all this black gunk in my hair for like the next day. I was like, what, what am I even trying to accomplish here? But Jake, uh, we, we thank you for your time again. And the focus of today's episode is just going to be taking, you know, a little bit more of a macro view on the fantasy football world. Now that we have seven weeks of evidence in, you know, we all get February through basically August every year to form our opinions on things. I think it's good to go back, see the results and maybe see where we could have been a little bit different based on the over and under achievers so far. So let's kick things off with quarterback. Again, people, the thesis for this kind of episode, I just took the current ranks, looked at where the ADP was at the end of August and trying to really highlight the guys that everyone was a bit too high on and maybe a bit too low on. So looking at some of the underachievers, there's actually only six quarterbacks with at least a double digit difference between their ADP and their rank right now. Three of them are rookies and Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields and Trey Lance. Do you think this is a lesson maybe for the future to chill out on first year signal callers? Or is this just a case of, man, I wish Trey Lance was under center. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I think it's both. I, I think it could be a lesson to not go crazy in general. It, it, quarterback's flat, and, and, and unless you get one of the top six or seven, just wait and wait, wait. We say that all the time, and everybody's like, oh, you know, how what have we been doing this for 10? I mean, I don't know, but like how long everybody's been doing. I'm just I thinking in my mind. I was like, I've been doing it for almost 11 years now. I'm just saying, like, you know, we've always known wait on quarterback. But once you get past those top six, seven, or eight, whatever it might change year to year, I get it to a degree because what's the difference between, you know, I'm looking at preseason rankings. What's the difference between if you wanted to take Kirk Cousins or if you wanted to go for Trey Lance because you know what Trey Lance could be if he is the starter? We know Trey Lance on his rushing side alone could be very similar to Jalen Hurts, who has looked pretty terrible at times throwing the ball, but we don't care because we're playing fantasy. We're not playing real life when it comes to that. And that's really what it comes down to. And so, yes, you can go too far with it. Now, should you have taken Trey Lance as the 13th quarterback off the board? No. But at the same time, if you were coming out of drafts and saying, you know what, my first quarterback will be Ryan Tannehill. I'll get him, you know, in the 10th round. And then for my last pick, I'll stash fields. I'll stash Lance and something like that. That's where it's okay. So I think this is the one position of everything we're going to talk about today where, yes, it looks egregious now because he's still not the starter yet. He was the one game because Garoppolo was hurt and it might actually happen next week. But for like Lance's example, like if he was the starter right now, if we said this is the last week, Ian, it is only Garoppolo and now it's Lance the rest of the season, we'd all probably put him as a QB1. And that's why I'm, I'm, it's, don't go too far with it, but I'm okay with it because there's no reason, there's no reason to draft Kirk Cousins, Matt Ryan, Baker Mayfield. Like, there's just no reason to draft those guys. Yeah. It's a very good point. And when we did see Lance, we saw him for a half of football and he pulled off the QB 18 finish. And then the next week, right. he was only the QB 20, but I think it was 18 rush attempts. And on one of those, you know, he got tackled at the six inch line. So he does fit the prototype that we were hoping he would have coming out and why we ranked him so high. But yeah, it's a great point. And I think uh, it's similar to like kind of running back strategy in terms of you don't want to handcuff necessarily your first or second round pick too early because then like either your first round pick or your ninth or 10th round pick is going to bust. There's no way Zeke and Tony Pollard, right. at least for the whole season are going to be great. So yeah, I have seen some people ask me like with Trey Lance, like, you know, should I keep waiting this out with my other quarterback being like Mahomes or someone like that? There's no need to go and draft Lance as your QB 13 if you already got someone higher. So yeah, if you wanted to do a couple late round darts, I think that could be the preferred strategy here moving forward. Let's look at some of the overachievers, though. We've had four quarterbacks that have surpassed their ADP by at least 14 spots. Derek Carr, Sam Darnold, Carson Wentz, and Teddy Bridgewater. Now, some of these guys looked a little bit better a month ago compared to now. But, Jake, how would you rank these guys again? Carr, Darnold, Wentz, and Bridgewater from first to worst in terms of who you want on your fantasy team moving forward. It would be Carr first. Uh, they're just not going to stop throwing. And that's even with a change that we saw and I think is happening. with the, uh, We weren't expecting the coaching change to happen, but we're seeing Brian Edwards now run out there the second most only to the, whoever the tight end is, Darren Waller the week before and Foster Moreau last week, is that now if Ruggs and Edwards are the one and two like they would had hoped when they drafted them, and you're talking bumping Renfro down to your fourth option now, and the way that this offense has been turning out this year, they're throwing more, and 
I'm okay with it. And Derek Carr is being more aggressive downfield. And I, I you know, I, 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 sorry to sidebar real quick, but I hated that. Ian It's like, I kept coming back at people where people were like Carr stinks downfield. No, he's, he's middle of the road, but it's perception that often clouds us yeah. in fantasy and NFL middle of the road. Isn't bad. No. Is he one of the best deep ball throwers in the NFL? No, but he takes shots downfield and he was taking shots down to, you know, Henry Ruggs last year. They just weren't on the same page, a rookie, not wanting to play outside. But anyway, so I say all that to say is I actually believe in Derek Carr. Um, second, I probably go Carson Wentz. I wouldn't have said that three weeks ago, but Carson Wentz looks like it might be kind of the Saquon Barkley for the first month is that he yeah. wasn't a hundred percent and he's getting back. And now he looks like he's back to at least what a hundred percent of Carson Wentz is now at this point, which isn't what he was during what people were calling the MVP season. And he was going to be one of the next top five quarterbacks in the NFL. Like that was kind of overblown at the time. But all that being said is he looks good now and he's getting T.Y. Hilton back. It sounds like, again, this game and even in a half of a game, essentially for T.Y. Hilton, he was already showing connection with him. So I would say Wentz and then Bridgewater is third, although I'm worried about this injury. And if they just shut him down because Denver's falling out of it. But there's no question in my mind, Sam Darnold's last. And it really it has nothing to do with the benching. It's something. And, you know, if people want to say I'm victory lapping this, I don't even care because <laughs> Here's why I don't care in this sense. Usually I try to say I'm not trying to, and I preface this like I'm not trying a victory lap. Sometimes I'll take it. And in this case, I'm taking the victory lap because people were dumb to think Sam Darnold was different. So I am victory lapping this. If you watch Sam Darnold play, people are like, he's away from Adam Gase. Look at what he's doing in Carolina. He wasn't doing anything different. He was same Sam Darnold, maybe like this 5% better. But people saw the fantasy, which was because of the rushing touchdowns and not realizing Sam Darnold was still the same mistake-prone, dumb thrower that we've seen of Sam Darnold for his entire career. And he just targeted DJ Moore a billion times a game, which he's still doing, and rightfully so. But Sam Darnold's dead last. He's he's not he's no different. He's no different than the Sam Darnold. It wasn't all Adam Gase's fault with Sam Darnold. Jake, you were preaching to the choir, man. I don't know how many solo rants I went on this summer, just <laughs> preaching that Darnold was a bad quarterback and you don't have players that horrendous just turn around like nothing ever happened. Ryan Tannehill was a wide receiver convert after his freshman year. It made sense that it took him a little bit longer to get better. Not every single quarterback is Ryan Tannehill. I think, you know, I agree with your rankings, first of all. I think there's a pretty big gap between Wentz and Bridgewater uh, and then down to Darnold. Arnold, obviously, I will say with Wentz, not only has that deep ball been looking just really fabulous for the better part of the last month, but last week against the 49ers, we actually saw him maybe more out of necessity because they were playing in a freaking monsoon, but getting that rushing upside back, four carries, 23 yards, and a score, and he looked pretty good doing it. You know, lest we forget, this dude was playing through two sprained ankles throughout the first parts of the season. How do you do that? <laughs> it's insane, man, and he had, he had a combined 60 rushing yards in the first two weeks and like for those of you you know like you, you and me jake we gotta go through every single quarterback no matter how bad every no matter how bad they are every single week with these rankings like last year the only reason why Wentz was even somewhat viable as a streamer was because of this like sneaky rushing upside that he brought to the table so to see him not even surpass 10 rushing yards in a game from week three to six that was why we couldn't really get behind him in fantasy but at this point with hilton coming back with michael Pittman looking more and more like a star mo alley cox making the most out of his opportunities you know if we can just get Jonathan Taylor 20 carries per game I'm starting to like this Colts offense a little more it's looking like what a lot of people thought this team could be with the Carson Wentz trade uh, and I actually I'm holding I'm holding a small bet that I put on right after the Super Bowl I put two bets down one of them's already out the window I put two bets down 
hoping trades would happen in the NFL. I put a bet on the Colts to win the AFC. It's a very small one, but it's like because the Carson Wentz rumors like, oh, yeah. this could happen if Carson Wentz is healthy and goes there. Why not put a little bit on the Colts? And the other one that's out the window was, hey, all Washington needed was a quarterback. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that, that bet's out the window. I, and theirs was just to repeat as NFC champions because they weren't even the favorites for the <sighs> NFC East. That That's not even happening. So that one's out the window. <laughs> I will say on Washington, like, OK. With hindsight, knowing how this defense has performed, I don't think having a healthy Nobody Chris expected Patrick, the defense to make a 180. I know, man. It's like, okay, maybe they weren't going to be as good as last year, but to go from like legit one of the better defenses in the league to right now, I think they're still 32nd. Like, come on, man. We don't expect the worst defense in the league to go to the best, but maybe, you know, get to like below average. It's- this is ridiculous. No, and what it really comes down to is the NFL learn. Like, this is why the NFL is smart, and this is why defenses in general change to change. And I had this, this is going to tie into it, but somebody was like, oh, Bill Belichick always limits the number one for the opposite team. And it's like, that's a, you know, that's a, a confirmation bias. It's not like 31 other teams don't go out there and say, let's stop the number one. It's like, like people are going out there facing the Panthers and like, oh my God, I guess we should probably stop Christian McCaffrey. No, we're going to try to stop Robbie Anderson instead. All the teams try to do the same thing. I say it to say this, it's they do it to also watch tape one of my concerns for justin herbert which is long out the window for this season was that if you watch the past or the last five games of last year you saw defense starting to bait him and see some of the flaws that we saw in college he corrected himself as players could do so i say that to say washington was setting up last year as a defense like the giant super bowl runs where it was pressure 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 our secondary isn't very good but the pressure makes up for it well this secondary and even the linebacking crew is even worse than what the Giants were rolling out there. And everybody's figuring you just give the quarterback a little bit of time. You bring in an extra tight end. You bring in an extra blocker. You have your running back chip and you give that extra second and forget about it. They can't do anything. So the NFL is smart, surprisingly. <laughs> I know it's it, and it's so easy on Twitter. Like, I think to make fun of things like, you know, um, game management. When Like, why do you call a timeout there? Why don't you do proper clock management? Like we, we can bark about timeouts and bad challenges. But like, I think people need to remember that, like, even like the worst coach in the NFL has so much more knowledge of what's going on on the field than someone like myself could even dream of. So we do our best here, but yeah, you know, let's try to keep some of the slander uh, at a minimum. I think all Twitter rules should go out the window for primetime games. Like just let us bark in peace and don't hold it over <laughs> our head a couple of weeks later. But uh, man, I could spend an hour on that topic. Let's move on here to running back with some of these underachievers. I'm in the full glare of zero RB faithful. I, I just love trolling that group whenever I can on Twitter, because I just feel like more than ever, they pick, they're five players that back up their confirmation. You know, that do their confirmation bias and five guys and ignore the rest of reality. So yeah, you can say zero RB was great because McCaffrey has been hurt. Saquon's been hurt. Dalvin cook hasn't done that, you know, or maybe he drafted Kamara, Derrick Henry, Zeke, Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, Jonathan Taylor, Najee Harris, Daryl Henderson, wherever you want to draw your line. Like Jake, why didn't we all just draft the really good players that wouldn't get hurt? Like, shouldn't <laughs> that be the strategy every year? But you know, all, all jokes aside for general season, along fantasy has the, have these first seven weeks of 2021 changed your general thoughts on draft strategy specifically at the running back position not one iota and it never will and 
and you can call me bullheaded or whatever you want to stubborn, whatever it might be, is I've always been bell cow RB. Uh, Chris Vaccaro was the first one I ever saw say that. And that was years ago. I actually think he was the first president. And it kind of got turned around. You know, some people have come out hero running back, which is okay. fun. And it sounds like zero running back, whatever. I want at least one bell cow in the first two rounds. If I get two, I'm even happier. But it doesn't always set up that way. Like if Devontae Adams fell to the second round, I'm not going to be like, nope, need my second running back. But <laughs> I want to, in the first three rounds, ideally come out with two running backs because they're so hard to find. And I say bell cow is, and you can be a bell cow fantasy and not a bell cow real life. Perfect example before this season, Austin Eckler. Does he touch the ball 20 times a week? No, but he's a bell cow fantasy because I know his floor is about 10 to 12 points. So what I'm looking at here is it doesn't change anything because this happens every single year. The attrition level of running back happens every single year. What are we doing right now, Ian? People are on waivers chasing Boston Scott. And Savon Ahmed as the backup and Ty Johnson as a backup on the Jets. And we're chasing these running backs. Tyson Williams was the answer. We blew our back on Tyson Williams. (laughs) Tyson Williams and Latavius Murray and Devontae Freeman. And and I I say this to say, yeah, look, look, I get it. Yeah, zero RB. And if none of your wide receivers busted, you're looking great. Congratulations. However, let's be honest and go back in time. Calvin Ridley was a top five consensus pick. How's that working out? DeAndre Hopkins, despite being a fringe wide receiver one, is not paying off where you took him. Allen Robinson was a consensus wide receiver one. How's that working out for you? Keenan Allen's taking a step back. Amari Cooper's been up and down. Yeah, I can keep going down the list. It happens at wide receiver two. It's just sometimes we forget it happens. You can go back to the year, what was it, where um, Jordy Nelson, oh, Jordy Nelson Des Bryant got hurt in the same year. And I actually know this because I started Jordy Nelson and Des Bryant on the turn that year because I'm not going to ignore value. So it can happen at wide receiver too. It does happen at wide receiver too. We just always remember it running back. But why do we remember it running back, Ian? Is because it hurts more. And that's why I'm not changing my stance because you're dealing with what everybody else is dealing with right now. Yeah. And I'm 100% in agreement with the strategy. We were preaching all summer here. I prefer anchor RB. I think that's the term that I've been going for. But as long that's as you don't, too, huh? as long as you don't call it modified zero RB, I'm oh, fine with whatever lingo. That's the one I can't stand. <laughs> what is that? That doesn't, what even, that doesn't mean. What does it mean? I can't even get the words out. Like what does modified zero even mean? So I actually have this workout plan. It's called a modified workout plan where I just don't work out. So is that how it works? Like, is that what we're doing here? But no, it's great points all around. I actually just do two reps for everything. It's modified (laughs) work. Just only two reps. It's that easy. But yes, people don't let seven weeks completely cloud your judgment. And then don't just randomly pick five players to try to prove your point. Look at everything. We adjust and move on. Now with some of the overachievers, I mean, I feel like in August, I I was guilty of this. I'm sure you use the phrase plenty of times. You could not listen to a podcast without hearing about the RB dead zone. It was basically, Basically, like kind of that RB 15 to 18 range and then like around the RB 25 spot. I always wondered at what point the RBs came back alive, but they all suck now. It's not like, like, it's like, it's not like, Hey, skip rounds four and five. And then look at all these amazing running backs in round seven. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I, I remember a couple of times I did try going there. It's like, oh, ETN seems like a value. Raheem Moster seems like a value. Not so much these days. But anyway, we did see out of that group, James Robinson, DeAndre Swift, and Daryl Henderson really emerge as stars compared to where they were going ADP-wise. So in hindsight, with these three players in particular, Robinson, Swift, and Henderson, do you think we could have deployed a better process to like kind of find these gems? 
Yeah, listen to me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, like, so there's two things here is, you know, while these running backs for me fell into the 15 to 25 range too, is because I pushed running backs up further. They weren't falling into the dead zone, like the fifth round, sixth round, stuff like that is because I was, you know, Daryl Henderson is like, he's the lead option. So to say without joking, like, like, what can we learn from this? We can learn that look for the difference between these, because you know what other names still fall in this group too. Uh, you mentioned too, but both of those got hurt. M- most are an yeah. ETN got hurt well actually and that's why i wouldn't say too much with james robinson <laughs> our concerns were warranted with the etn use i mean we saw urban meyer was similar to shanahan with trey sermon he was essentially backed into a corner of being forced to turn to james robinson as much as he is and then oh my god this is this is of everything urban meyer's done the fact that he had to be told how good james robinson forced to see how good james robinson is should lose him his job right there that that alone i, I, I bet he didn't watch a single james robinson snap until he saw him and was already the head coach of the jaguars <laughs> you're like oh I, I didn't know this guy was even on my roster what is this guy so so, but by the way, like I had, I, even with the ETN use, I had Robinson at 17, but I thought that was going to be a split. Uh, Daryl Henderson, I was all over because of, you know, look, the injury. And the funny thing about Henderson is, Ian, going back is, I think I tweeted this out and said that, like, it was funny. Everybody was like, Henderson's the best backup, one of the best backups. Don't forget about Henderson. Don't forget about him. Then Hakers goes down and everybody's like, no, okay, who's behind <laughs> Henderson? Like, we, we should go, we should go pick up, uh, you know, Jake Funk. Like, you just had the answer screaming in your face. And that's where I want to go with this. The answer's in your face and where the answer is instead of, because the same names that are in this group are Mike Davis, uh, Miles Gaskin, who's coming back to life only because Michael Malcolm Brown is hurt. Uh, Some others like that. Uh, You mentioned Tyson Williams at the time we were chasing similar situations. We're chasing opportunity for somebody to get the clear lead. And then the difference between these guys are these are James Robinson, Daryl Henderson, uh, DeAndre Swift were they have top 12 potential if they are the lead and we're seeing them as the lead. The difference is Mike Davis, Miles Gaskin, Tyson Williams, and these others, even as the lead, their potential is top 20 maybe question mark and that's the difference that's the learning lesson here is like the dead zone is the dead zone is because the ceiling is capped for some of these guys the difference between the three that you mentioned was everything did break right for them and even if everything was breaking right for the others they would still hold a leg up on these guys i would just say the one thing that's pissed me off about this group is the and, and you know to your, i think you probably could victory lap the james robinson thing even with the etn injury because rb 17 afterwards is still uh pretty high in my opinion but people quit saying that james robinson is this year's james robinson no you still <laughs> had to draft him in like the fifth round at the absolute latest when he was a freaking waiver wire guy in 2020 so that's my you know only the, oh you know who this year's james robinson is right who we got it's cordell patterson Oh my God. We were just talking about this in the pre-show people. I would love to come out here and say that I have like a hundred percent best ball exposure to CPAC. I don't, it caught me by surprise too. So, you know, you, you die a hero, you live long enough to become a villain is uh, my, uh, <laughs> my takeaway with CPAC this year. What Listen, happens if you're a villain from day one, like me, then, then what, like, what, do you, is, is that the other way around? Can you die a hero if you're a villain your entire life? You just got to get that. Like, you got to be a stone cold. You got to be the cool heel. Like, I think that's the best way to go. That's what you got to do, man. Let's look at some wider series. I sacrificed my life at the end for everybody. Sorry, go ahead. 
good, man. All right, so we've had three wide receivers that are top 12 ADP, yet have failed to rank higher than 24th. You mentioned one of them, two of them already, Calvin Ridley and Allen Robinson. We still have Stefan Diggs. Not quite killing rosters the same way, but also not helping them in the manner that you drafted them. So with these three, again, Diggs, Ridley, Allen Robinson, give me your confidence scale, one to 10 on these guys, turning things around in the second half of the year. Yeah, so Stefan Diggs, uh, what, what we're going to go one to five. I, I do worry ducks in my waiver column, one to five. So okay. like one to five will be good. We'll start instead of one to ten. Well, I'll say five. Diggs is a four and a half. He's four and he's four ducks in an egg. Like uh, the big thing with Diggs is we've already seen some signs of it. It's really the touchdowns. The touchdowns is really what's killing Diggs so far. So I'm okay with him. I think that we maybe, and I say we as in the community, maybe underscored a little, or not underscored, uh, underrated the Sanders impact more than him coming in that it should have like the fact that you know and it's warranted the fact we sanders looked okay at times last year it's not like sanders was coming in in his prime and we underrated the impact i just i don't think anybody expected similar to aj green is that you know hopkins is in the same situation honestly is both hopkins and sanders came in and have like a breath of life back into them and have lost some of their target share and lost some of their touchdown upside which they're still very good but again, we underrated what that impact could have been, and maybe that's. But I still, I think Stefan Diggs, if he told me going forward, still easily be inside my top ten. Maybe not top five like he thought he was going to be, but top ten is top ten. Calvin Ridley, I'm going to say two and a half. Uh, here's why. He, I think it was either was it somebody from Rasbol. Was it Rudy? Somebody tweeted it out. I can't remember who it was, but they were tweeting out the fact that like, let's be real about Calvin Ridley and who he is as a player. He's never been big after the catch. He's been very reliant on air yards per target. Well, when things change and defenses focus on him and Matt Ryan isn't targeting him downfield as much as he was prior to this. That's just the effect is like if he, he's not a possession receiver, but he's not far from it with the way that he's playing. And that's my concern. I think Calvin Ridley is better than this, but I don't know if it changes. Maybe the Kyle Pitts explosion the past two weeks really helps. But, you know, he just Kyle Pitts went off again and Calvin Ridley was a mediocre possession. Calvin, you know what Calvin Ridley's game was this past week? It was Corey Davis. And everybody's paying, and people are like, should I drop Corey Davis? Calvin really had basically the exact time, same type of game. So I think it's a two and a half in the fact that if you told me going forward, I know I could get at least 12 names. I might be able to get 15 names before I got to Calvin Ridley rest of the season, just because of his role. Now, yeah. Allen Robinson's a negative eight, <laughs> 17. Keep going. He's droppable. I've said he's droppable for weeks. The only reason I would even hold him right now is because November 2nd is coming. The trade deadline, maybe the bears trade him, but that's the only reason I would hold him. If he's not even traded by November 2nd, that Odell Beckham, Allen Robinson, Robbie Anderson, strip the names off the jerseys, get them the hell off your rosters. You wouldn't want them if you didn't know who they were. Okay. Uncalled for at my guy, OVJ, but you're, you're right, Jake. And it, it pains me to say that. Uh, I think you're spot on here. And it, the thing with Ridley, like, I agree with you that probably he would be more of like an upside wide receiver too if we just redid drafts again. But I think that does almost show that like he should, like he's maybe not the prime by low candidate all fantasy. I might give T Higgins that uh, award right now. A wide How receiver. I want T Higgins. I don't know, man, but I do I've believe been you. I've screaming man. about this for weeks. Oh my God. Let, Rid- me, let me ask you something yeah, about this real quick with, with, with Calvin Ridley. Uh, if I'm going to draw a comparison to see if maybe you agree with it. He's starting to feel like Anquan Bolden to me. And the fact <laughs> that, and here's why, not necessarily stylistically, in the fact that Anquan Bolden was always best as a 1B to a 1A. You put 
Aquan Bolden as the only, the primary, the main guy, and he just wasn't quite Anquan Bolden. And that's the feeling I'm starting to get from Calvin Ridley. I think it's a fair critique because the big, you know, this was something that people looked at going into this year. Of course, again, we have six months to go through this stuff, but the sample of Ridley without Julio Jones was like five games or something like that. So yeah, he was great, but it was only five games and yeah, man, obviously different players, but we're seeing it just from a pure yards per target uh, perspective, 9.6 last year, 5.4 this year. Like clearly something is going on. Hopefully to your point before Kyle Pitts can help maybe bring out a little bit more, but looking at these guys just real quick from a pure usage uh, perspective, I talk a lot about experience points on here. We have a cool tool with PFF. It just removes production based on their pure usage, where we'd expect these guys to rank. And in terms of expected PPR points per game, Ridley is tied with Tyree Kill as the overall wide receiver too. So I am feeling good about him. Not that he'll get to wide receiver too, but again, he can be inefficient and just have a little bit better luck, I think, and probably finish a little bit better as an upside wide receiver too, at least. Sure. Maybe not hitting the home run we thought, but still pretty good. Then we got Diggs as the wide receiver seven. That's Sounds fair. Again, with top 10, maybe not top five, but we're there. Al Robinson is a wide receiver 60 and expected points. He's actually like outperformed what we would have expected. And when people say like, how is Alan Robinson not overcoming the situation? He's had these bad quarterbacks before when he had bad quarterbacks in the last two years, he still had over 150 targets. His 16 game pace this year is 90. Like who else is going to do anything with 90 targets, man. It's just so unfortunate. He's fifth and this catchable ball rate, fifth worst and catchable ball rate. I should say it's a shame, man. Get him to green Bay, please. (laughs) Uh, That's the thing was Allen Robinson was quarterback immune until he was, he didn't get the vaccine. That's what happened. Overachievers here. We got Cooper Cup, DJ Moore, and Jamar Chase. Again, just looking like the cream of the crop in terms of top 30 guys that obviously we all should have ranked much higher. DJ may be falling off a little bit in recent weeks, but he, I'm not too worried about it. He's still got all those targets. Anyway, each of these guys entering a new offense. Cooper Cup having Stafford, DJ having Darnold, Jamar Chase obviously just going into the NFL. So out of these three, which one do you think in hindsight we just should have done as an industry a much better job at ranking higher? I would say easily Jamar Chase. Uh, look, Cooper Cup, we weren't that. I mean, we didn't have him as number one, but I think most people had him inside the top 15, inside not, if not the top 20. I think that one, a little people leaned more on Robert Woods, if I remember correctly. And it was like Robert Woods outranked him barely, uh, but they were very close. And I think the expectancy was, and maybe that's where people fell into a trap of trying to predict something in their own minds, that yeah. Stafford was going to change the touchdown factor for Robert Woods and not understanding that, like, hey, what if he's, Cup is his guy, just like Cup was Golf's guy. So maybe that's a mistake we made there, and we should have had Cup hires inside the top twelve if we really thought that Stafford was going to be that much better than than Golf. But again, that's not a big gap. The DJ Moore again, that's not a big gap either. I don't think anybody we can really learn from. I don't think anybody's expecting him to average double digit targets per week. Uh, there was sure. a lot of, you know, Robbie Anderson being what he's been and falling off as a player uh you know it's the fact that sam darnold hasn't improved at all you know the funny thing was and this is not a victory lap at all this is not this is something i said as a joke in the preseason i said if the rule and brady can turn sam darnold into a top 12 this is the exact quote turn him into a top 12 quarterback put them both in the hall of fame immediately <laughs> but i expected them to at least be able to improve him a little bit i was making that joke to say like i wasn't even expecting it to be like not any better so again that's one like we could say both of those but i think the biggest one is jamar chase and i say that to point fingers uh even at myself 
I kind of hedged a little bit, but the reason I hedged it not because of the drops and not because he was a rookie and all that type of stuff. It was because the the acclimating to the NFL, and you can go back to my preseason write up and even in the NFL draft after they drafted him with Jamar Chase, and I said it might be similar to Saquon Barkley, but not injury related, where it takes him two, three weeks, maybe four at the most before he is the guy. And that's why I said it, because they have Higgins, because they have Boyd, that they don't have to force him to be the number one. And Joe Burrow was coming off an injury. And we saw Joe Burrow at the beginning of the season wasn't 100% Joe Burrow. So it sounds like I'm saying like, well, we should excuse ourselves. But at the same time, I was also at the same camp. And this is why I'm pointing the finger at myself too, of saying Jamar Chase is one of the top five wide receivers in the top five draft classes like yeah. overall like he's that damn good so if he's really that damn good similar to justin jefferson he should be at least the number two he's now the number one but that's why we missed the ball and chase and it has nothing to do with the drops if it was because of the drops just learn from that and don't be that stupid ever again but <laughs> the all the other factors in it is like you know yes there was a lot facing us where we could say and excuse it away but i will even take the blame as well i mean i had him 30th 29th somewhere right around there he I mean, he should have been where i wanted to put him in my gut i wanted to put him as a top 20 because of the talent trust the talent i think my fault my problem with chase and i think he nailed it in terms of dj Moore. we had a crowded offense mccaffrey coming back robbie like robbie led the team in targets last year why should we have anticipated dj Moore all of a sudden getting the underneath targets that probably should have been his in the a first billion. place yeah. yeah a billion of them and like good he's a great player and obviously he's making it happen but the expectation and eh. and then cooper cup like i didn't think he was going to take every touchdown from this offense like you said i mean he was a top 20 guy pretty consensusly should we have maybe had him ahead of Robert from the beginning. Okay. That's a conversation, but nothing too egregious with, I had each of Higgins Boyd and chase at one point, like right at that wide receiver two borderline right next to each other. Cause I looked at the 2020 target totals and we have Boyd at 110, Higgins at 108, AJ green 104. And I basically just kind of swapped chase and green in without putting more thought into, Hey, what if this guy is, is as generational, as good as everyone says he is, someone like that is going to demand a bit higher target share. So for me, I think it was almost led to a bigger miss on like Tyler Boyd than I did on Jamar Chase by not necessarily, you know, realizing how adding someone like a Chase, like a Justin Jefferson could just change the target share of your entire offense. But, you know, Jake, we mentioned this in passing. Go get T Higgins, people. Higgins actually has more expected fantasy points per game than Chase this season. He's a good receiver. It's all going to catch up. Go get him. Yeah, that's that's really what it comes down to. T Higgins, I saw some people last week were like, well, if I knew he was going to get that many targets, he's the number two. When on the field, Tyler Boyd was clearly by far, not even close, the number three. And we were like, I don't know if I trust T Higgins. It's a bad matchup too. Like volume... I, you know, we haven't said this yet in the show, and I often say this a lot. Volume is king. Like, I, want, I just want to put that on a t-shirt. Is volume is king? Uh, because that's really what it comes down to. It's like Mike Davis was, at the beginning of the season, the only reason he was relevant as an RB2 is because volume is king. So just chase the volume. I mean, that, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Jamar, chase that volume. All right, let's get some tight end stuff before we get out of here. We got some okay. un underachievers. Thank you. Travis Kelsey, obviously doing king shit at the top, but we got Darren Waller and George Kittle leaving their managers hanging. You know, we talked about the anchor RB approach to drafts. 
One of the things I really wanted to do as well was try to come away with a Waller or Kittle in the top three rounds. Obviously not really paying off at the moment. With that said, do you think that that early round tight end route, save for like non-Kelsey investors, could be a bit of a trap? Like, have we just been trying too hard to kind of meet that true anomaly that Travis Kelsey has been during his career? Yes. I say, and I I even including Kelsey in this, I, I say it every single year. If Kelsey fell to the second round, Okay, I'll take him. I'm just never taking Kelsey in the first. And this is the, uh, and I know we're not talking Kelsey, but this is the example of why I say yes as a whole. Because it's the tight end position. Because Kelsey is an enormous leg up. But go back two years ago, and this was the example I kept bringing up, was Kelsey was .1 in front of Kittle. And if Kelsey, and still a great season, was a down season for him because he's Kelsey. If he doesn't have that leg up on everybody else at the tight end position, what you lose at running back or wide receiver by taking Kelsey, you've double lost because you didn't get that edge at tight end. So yes, Kelsey this year is doing it again. So you did get that edge. I'm just saying that's why it has to work out. I don't fault anybody for taking Kelsey in the first round. I just would never do it. But that's also why I don't take, I don't have any Waller. I don't have any Kittle. I don't have any Andrews. I do have some Kyle Pitts because he was going like the sixth or seventh round. He started to climb. I know before, let me finish my sentence, everybody. (laughs) I know he got into the fifth round by the time we got to September. I actually even in the flex leagues, I took him in the fifth round because I was the middle of the, just ahead. I was early mid fifth round. I was like, I know he's not making it back to me at the close to the end of the sixth. So that's why I took him. So to say that, I'm in that range. I'm okay in that range. I'm okay in chasing the Kyle Pitts because Kyle Pitts, you could also go back to the Jamar Chase thing, and we're seeing it now. Everybody's, oh, he's a rookie. Don't get caught up in narratives. Yes, they're they're there for a reason. You know, it's often that rookies don't produce, but don't get caught up in like every single player follows the same mold. So Pitts, you know, Logan Thomas, he got hurt, but he was working before then. Goddard's finally now going to pay off. Those are the tight ends I'll chase. And this is why, again, now Waller and Kittle are falling to the same reason. Yes, Kittle's hurt, but Waller wasn't producing the Waller level. They have to be that. Like, I understand people are like, well, your first rounder has to be your first rounder. Not always. Your first rounder could be a second round value because if you, let's say you drafted a running back in the first round, he's only producing round two. You're still getting that value, but it's not, you didn't sacrifice another position to do it. You're sacrificing at tight end and that's why I don't do it. So again, I I'm okay. If you want to, I just think you're, you, you have to basically guarantee your players hitting to do it. I think everything you just said is why really going early round QB also isn't the best idea more years than not. If you hit Mahomes when he goes bonkers, okay, your team's going to be great. If you don't, man, that wide receiver running back you missed on early is going to be Lamar Jackson last year. Yeah, Lamar Jackson was still a top 10 quarterback, but he wasn't QB one, two or three. And people took him that and that, yes, it wasn't the worst. He was still your quarterback for the entire year. But because what you sacrificed to take him when you did, you got double dinged. You're a wise man, Mr. Sealy. One, one, one last thing before we get you out of here. So with the overachievers at tight end. So I've had some rough times with this over the years. Chris, we had the summer of Chris Herndon in uh, 2019. <laughs> and this last year, like, you know, Blake Jarwin was there. We had Adam Troutman, uh, Fever, Anthony Ferkser, Gerald Everett. All these guys have busted. But there is Dawson Knox, who we did see hit. Right now, he's not going to be playing this week, probably next week, having to go through some hand injury. But there 
seems to be maybe one late round tight end of the year that hits, but trying to figure out who it is has been a freaking circus. So what, if anything, do you think we should do in the future to try and avoid some of these late round tight end busts? Or is it a situation kind of like quarterback where just learn to live with that? You, a couple of them are going to bust, but throw enough darts and you might be okay. That's more than anything, uh, you know, because some of those late round uh, tight end darts were like Cole Komet, uh, and that's really not paying off, even though now he's recently see- he's seen the volume recently, but it still doesn't matter because the offense is just garbage. Right. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think like people are Gel- Gerald Everett. Now he's a Seattle, he's the coach again. And even before that, understanding Seattle is just, uh, that's one of the things I said in the preseason too. It's like, if you could tell me Seattle tight end, and then just give them all to me. Sure. But yeah. you have to understand how Seattle's always used their tight ends. So, I, I'll admittedly, I don't think I even had Schultz inside the top 30 because Blake Jarwin was back. I had Blake Jarwin over Schultz. I don't, I don't think a lot of people, even beat writers, were expecting it to be this pronounced of a split. Uh, you know, maybe some people out there were saying, oh, Schultz should be the guy after what happened last year. But, you know, he was just sitting there last year with Jarwin. I think what this tells us is that tight ends are tight ends. Uh, we're already at the point now it's a wasteland at tight end because of the injuries. If we were healthier, we might be having a little bit better of a season. But... If nothing else, I would just say learn, just go after the offense. If you're going to take a dart throw, like instead of going for Cole Komet with Andy Dalton or Justin Fields, you chase the Dallas Cowboys tight end chase. You know, I'm okay that you chase Gerald Everett because he wasn't even the top 20 tight end, but you were chasing Russell Wilson, the Seahawks offense and hoping he could be the third option. You know, if you chase Dawson Knox, you know, not a lot of people expected much from him, but you were chasing the bills and Josh Allen. So that's where I'm okay with it. Conklin has kind of been a thing at times. And that's the thing, like go after those. Don't go after Tyler Croft when he was like potentially going to be the guy for the jets. Like, so chase the offense. Don't chase the tight end necessarily. Well, I think you just described why some guys like Chris Herndon and Adam Trotman haven't worked out for me. So uh, very good <laughs> points there, Jake. Awesome stuff. Again, everyone can find you on Twitter. I'm sure they follow you already. But at All In Kid, all your stuff is over at The Athletic. You got your matchup rankings, best and worst strengths of schedules up live. Also just week eight ranks, projections, sleepers, buys, and sells. And I see you through a Halloween movie twist onto that yeah. article. Fair play to you for finding the time, not just to go through all that, but also loop in some movies. What is the best horror movie ever, Jake, in your opinion? So I did old school because they don't feel like the same to me because one of the things I said in the preface was that if you're, you know, first of all, the, the old ones don't hold up very well you know especially yeah. you realize how boring some of those were and it's usually like when you saw it for the first time they like that's the thing especially if you're younger it has a bigger impact yeah. so old school is a completely different grouping and the number one there is for shining i mean i even nice. said this like i'll be in a deserted hotel like deserted good quotes a deserted hotel hallway and i'll turn the corner and i'll even hesitate sometimes like just like i don't know what's gonna be around the corner but i would say like <laughs> newer since what we say like the 90s till now it's i know the remakes kind of destroyed it especially the reboot with chris rock but the original saw the original saw at the time it changed the genre and there's reboots and multiples because of how good it was and then of course the ending which you've never seen and i'll throw this out real quick i know we're trying to get out of here Ian, but number two is actually a sci-fi flick which is the best horror sci-fi flick i've ever seen i actually think aliens kind of too sci-fi to really be scared by but event horizon if you've never seen event horizon go watch it it actually holds up well I will say if you don't get creeped the freaking hell out by playing the audio tape from the old crew, I you you are not a human person. Like trust everybody out there, go watch Event Horizon. The minor spoiler, it's basically a spaceship that goes to hell and come back. Uh just go watch it. 
I, I know what I'm doing now on uh, this uh, Wednesday night. So appreciate that, Jake. Appreciate all the good wisdom and the time. My man, again, at All In Kid on Twitter. Go check out all of Jake's great stuff from the always excellent athletic. I love everything you guys do. Really, that the forefront of the industry in terms of just, you know, hey, people, you pay how much money. You know, I went to a Mexican place last night and spent 25 bucks. I guess nothing. Why wouldn't you throw out a seven, eight bucks, whatever the hell it is, for a subscription per month <laughs> when you can get such great content? So go check all that out for jake i mean hard thank you as always for tuning in to pff fantasy football podcast until next time take care everybody